morning is to maybe help you close the book on 2015 and hopefully step into 2016 with some sense of direction and revelation from the Lord. So there's a couple of th- I just have a couple of thoughts. Again, I don't, I don't have a developed message. Just a couple of thoughts I wanted to share. I'm going to ask you all to participate, uh, not necessarily out loud anymore, but to do some things in your heart to hopefully, again, close the book on 2015. Whether it was a good year for you or a bad year for you, it's a done year for you. And so we don't want that lingering into 2016. Hebrews 12 talks about throwing off things that hinder and casting aside sin that can entangle us. And again, even if 2015 was a great year from you, you don't want to live in the past. God's mercies are new every morning. God is not the God of yesterday. He's the God of today. And so we want to make sure that we've got some sense, again, of closing the book on last year and hopefully uh, hearing what the Lord is saying to us for, for this year. So this is Psalm 103. We're going to start with communion. This is one of my favorite communion passages. It may not speak to communion for you, but it does for me. Psalm 103, the first five verses. Praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. So that the idea to me is communion is a very tangible uh, reminder of the benefits of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. When we take communion, we're literally ingesting, I hope, a reminder that says, this is who Jesus is, and this is what his death and his resurrection means for me personally. Communion, obviously, is this cosmic event, but it has personal application for each one of us. So uh, as we move into a time of communion, I want to do two things. One is I want you to reflect and think back. Is there anything that's hindering you, anything that's entangling you, that would make it difficult for you to run the race that God has set before you in 2016? Is there anything from 2015 that you just need to be done with? Maybe there's some disappointment. Maybe some of the things David shared earlier Uh, There's frustration. You haven't seen God work in some circumstance in your life. Maybe there's some lingering physical uh, ailments that uh, are beginning to get you down. I don't know what those things may be. But is there anything from 2015 that if you're honest, you say, that thing trips me up? Whether it seems trivial to you or significant, if you said, that thing trips me up, whether you would call it sin or not, that thing trips me up. The first thing we want to do is cut that thing off. Close the book on that. And then we want to step in as you come forward for communion with this idea of saying, God, I know that through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, there are benefits that are available to me. You heal my diseases. You forgive me of my sins. You renew my strength. You look on me with love and compassion. That's farther down in Psalm 103. And so we just want to get that perspective right. So uh, we're going to take just some time and pray. And I'll, are there any, if there are any ministry teams here, if y'all will come forward, we'll have some teams here up in the corners that will pray with you. And if you're serving communion, if y'all would come forward as well. Just technically, the way we take communion here is you'll break off a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. And there is gluten-free communion. It'll be in these baskets if you need that. And you'll come forward a row at a time. Kim will, Kim will kind of signal you for when you can come forward. Y'all can just remain seated during this time of communion. So if y'all just follow with me uh, in this prayer, I'd appreciate it. In your own heart, you may just uh, begin to pray. 
just thanking God for who he is. We just sang that song, Holy, Holy, Holy. So Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Those things that we said, glory and honor are due to him. Power, majesty, strength. What David said earlier is a good word. God, God's actions to us uh, reveal his character. They don't prove it. He doesn't have to prove anything to us. We want to lean heavy on his character this morning, who he's revealed himself to be. Gracious and compassionate God slow to anger and abounding in love towards us. God, who reached out to us when we were still enemies of His, even as we come forward for communion, recognizing while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. He leaves no ambiguity in terms of His commitment to us. Before we'd made any moves to Him, He'd taken the initiative and He'd moved all the way to us the point of becoming a man and living and dying on our behalf. So you'll need to wonder, what is God's posture towards me? What's God's perspective on me? What does God think about me? There's no ambiguity there. He's clearly demonstrated his deep love for you and his deep commitment to you. Through Christmas and through Easter. So from that place of security and God's love for and commitment to you, I want you to look back prayerfully. Ask the Lord, is there anything, you may not even be aware of it, just ask Him. God, is there anything that would hinder me from running the race that you're going to lay out for me in 2016? I don't even know what that race is. It's January 3rd. But you do. Is there anything from last year that would hinder or entangle me, that would cause me to run slow or to trip and fall? with it. It may seem sinful to you. It may not. Again, it may be something that you already were aware of or it may be news to you. What I want you in your heart to say is, God, I want to cut that off in the name of Jesus. I'm asking you to disentangle me from that thing. If there are any steps of obedience I need to make, show me what those things are. But I'm asking you now, in the Spirit, to set me free. I want to be able to run fast, and I want to be able to run true. God, I thank you that there's nothing in our life that's not redeemable, that you make all things new. God, I pray for us as we come forward and take communion that we would do so knowing 
you heal all of our diseases, that you forgive us of all of our sins, that you renew us with the strength of young men and young women. I'm asking you to do that now in our life, that as we physically break off bread and dip it in juice, that you would spiritually strengthen us for the race that is in front of us. And God, I pray for all of us who've had maybe some things swirling through our mind that we just cut off. I pray, God, as we would come forward, we would recognize the freedom that we have in you, Jesus. And through your death, you have set us free from everything that would plague us, that would haunt us, that would seek to trip us up. So I'm going to ask you guys, Kimball, signal you. You can come up a row at a time. We'll have ministry teams here up in the corners. If you want to say to them, sometimes it's powerful just to say it out loud. This is the thing that was entangling me. And they're going to pray very briefly for you. It's not going to be a long, drown-out thing. They're just going to pray very briefly that God would cut that thing off in your life and that it would not hinder you moving forward. You don't have to go into a great deal of detail. I would just say, say, this is what it is. And they'll pray very briefly for you to be set free from that thing. So you guys can come forward, and then after that, we'll go back into worship. And then I'll try to fill in some of the blanks. Now, when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, so the things they heard about were Joshua and the Israelites had uh, conquered Jericho, which was a big city, fortified city, and they conquered a smaller city called Ai, A-I, and uh, they're overrunning these cities pretty easily, pretty quickly and pretty thoroughly. So when the kings west of the Jordan River heard about what the Israelites were doing in the land of Canaan, the kings in the hill country in the western foothills and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean as far as Lebanon, they came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. So you got it? You got a lot of the tribes are saying, a lot of these other nation states are saying, let's get together. We, we, we're not having luck on our own fighting these guys. So let's get together. We'll form a coalition and we'll fight. You can read about that later. But there's this other group, the Gibeonites, and they resort to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, We've come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. So the Gibeonites lived in the land of Canaan, but what they pretended to come from a long way away. You get that. The Israelites said to the Hivites, those are the Gibeonites, But perhaps you live near us, so how can we make a treaty with you? God had said... To Moses, and Moses had passed this on to Joshua, you can't make a treaty with anyone who lives in the land. If people live a long way away, you can make a treaty with them. But if they live in the land, you've got to destroy them because if you don't, they will lead you into idolatry. That's why you have to get rid of them. If they stay in the land, they will corrupt you. If they're from a long way away, you can ask them if they want to make a treaty with you. And if they say yes, you can do that. But anyone who lives in this land, you have to get rid of or they will take you down. So how can perhaps you live near us? So how can we make a treaty with you? We're your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua said, who are you and where do you come from? Your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. We've heard of we have heard reports of him, all the things that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sheon and Og. 
and our elders and all those living in our country said to us, take provisions for your journey to go and meet them and say to them, we're your servants. Make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now you see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that we filled were new, but see how cracked they are. And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. That's the key verse that's been ringing around in my head this week. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live. And the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Here's a list. Here's kind of the top ten, perennial top ten New Year's resolutions. No no news there for you. Lose weight, get organized, spend less, save more, enjoy life to the fullest, whatever that means. Stay fit and healthy, learn something exciting, quit smoking, help others in their dreams, fall in love. I don't know how you can resolve to fall in love. Spend more time with family. So those are every year these things hover around the top ten. I don't know if you're resolution people or not. It doesn't matter to me one way or the other. These are the things that people think about heading into the new year. And there's nothing wrong with any, like none of those things are bad at all. They're, they're fine. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. Doing any one of those things would most likely make your life better. Your life would improve at least incrementally in some area if you were to actually implement and walk out one of those things. But I was thinking about this idea, chapter 9, verse 14. They sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord. And I was thinking about that in light of moving into the new year and how infrequently, at least for me, this may not be true for you, but how infrequently I take a minute and say, God, what are you saying to me about next year? It's easy for me to look around and say, what do I want to do? Are there things that I need to fix? Are there things I need to improve? Are there things I need to pick up? Are there things I need to let go of? Are there just some things I want to do? And it may be that list. It may be something off of that list. And again, there's nothing wrong with any of that. But have I actually taken time to inquire of the Lord? Or have I just sampled the provisions? Have I just taken the inputs that are available to me? This is what I can see and this is what I can feel, and this is what I can think, and this is what I can touch, and this is what I can taste, and then I draw my own conclusions. But have I actually taken time to ask the Lord, what are you saying to me? Is there something, am I missing something? Is there some information, some revelation that I need that I can't access through one of my five senses? Is there something that you want to say to me that's beyond what's in my thought process that's outside of what I'm currently seeing or thinking about my life or the life of my family or the life of my job or this church or whatever. And how often, for me at least, Christmas is wonderful, but it's hectic and New Year's, is, it's here, and then like we're right back to it. And you may feel the same way. And I, I don't know if you take time and really say, God, are you saying anything to me? There's nothing magic about January 1st. There's nothing magic about it. But it it does, at least on the calendar, it provides us a bit of a pause to close one thing and open another. And my hope during this time this morning is to give you a couple of minutes quietly just to say, God, what are you you saying? What are you saying to me? What are you saying to me at ninth grader at Marietta High School? What about my year? Okay, get A's or make the basketball team or whatever, yes. But what else? 
are you saying to me? What, else, what are you saying to me about being a social studies teacher at Marietta Middle School or coaching soccer or whatever the things are that you do? Is there anything outside of that or even in the midst of that other than what I can come up with on my own? And it may very well be that the things the Lord would say to you are the things you've already thought of. And that's great. He may say lose weight and quit smoking and fall in love and help other people in their dreams. And that's wonderful if those are the things that he says to you. But what you don't want to do, or what I want to encourage you not to do, I won't tell you what to do. I want to encourage you to not run ahead with those things without first giving him a chance. The Israelites made a treaty with the group they never should have made a treaty with. Now, Joshua goes back to them. You can read the rest of the chapter. And he says, man, why did y'all do this? And they kind of continue to lie and say, well, you know, blah, blah. And what he says is y'all are going to be our servants then. That's the deal. You're going to cut wood and you're going to carry water for the temple. There were live animal sacrifices during this time. And so you needed a lot of wood and you needed a lot of water. And so it worked out for the Israelites. They had people who could do that menial labor, but it also hurt them in some ways. You had this group living with them who did not necessarily worship the Lord. It seems from chapter 9 that the Gibeonites, unless they were just complete liars, were at least open to the idea of serving God. And over the course of the Old Testament, you can see that they get integrated more and more and more into the people of God, which is good. That just shows that God can redeem anything. So I don't want you to feel pressure. God can redeem anything. He can work everything out uh, to your good and to his glory. But it's not the way God intended for things to be. It actually says the leaders, the people grumble about the leaders. And they're like, you messed up. You shouldn't have done this. And what are going to be the consequences for us? Back in chapter 6, I think it was, there was, God had said, this is something I want you to do. I want you all to destroy all of the stuff. You don't get to keep any of the loot from Jericho. When one family kept a little bit of loot, and then they went, then the, the next couple of weeks where they go to attack another city, the Israelites lose. And 36 people get killed. And the reason is because this one guy had disobeyed and it affected the whole nation. And so these guys are going, what's going to happen to us? You leaders didn't do what God told you to do. What are going to be the consequences for the rest of us? We already saw what happened when just a regular guy disobeyed. What about when our leaders disobeyed? So that's kind of where that's coming from. And so for you, those of you, you have influence. You're Husbands and fathers and mothers and wives and bosses and friends and the influence you have. And so there's this idea, I don't want you to feel it as heavy, but as an invitation, a recognition of responsibility. God, what are you saying to me? I want to take some time, I want to ask you, what are you saying to me about my business? God's the best businessman out there. Whatever your business is, he knows it better than you. God, what are you saying to me? I know what I want to do, multiply, grow profits or add customers or cut expenses or whatever those things are. What do you want to do in my business this year? I know what I want for my family. What do you want for my family? I know what I want to do with my money. What do you want me to do with my money? Does that make sense? I just don't want you to just sample the provisions. I want to make sure you're taking some time to inquire of the Lord. I don't want you to hear it as a doomsday thing. It worked out for the Israelites. It worked out because of the grace and the goodness of God. But there are consequences, and I just don't want you to have to face those things unnecessarily for you or for the people who love you. So let's take a minute. If you have whatever you do to take notes, if, you're a, if you type stuff on your phone, you can pull out your phone. If you're a writer, you can use the back of that bulletin. If you need something, you can raise your hand. Kim will bring you a note card that you can write on. And this is what I'm going to ask you to write. We're going to take a couple of minutes and be quiet. We'll see how long we can last, maybe two minutes. 
And the first thing I want you to do is you can write down the things that you're thinking just to get them out of your head. These are the things that I'm thinking about. And if you can't, I can't think about a whole year. But if you, you just, whatever, whatever amount of time you can think of, that's kind of the horizon for you. Whatever, if I say what's next, whatever that time horizon is in your mind, think about between now and what's next. Hey, Kim, can you pass out a couple of index cards? Warren needs one. DJ, these people are not prepared. It's good. Alex. Don't raise your hand high enough so she can see it. Lindsay, all those folks. Um, on one side, I want you to write just what you're thinking of. And you can, if you look at your life in spheres, and you can do that. Home, work, friends, ministry, however you, if I say what's next, whatever goes in your head in terms of time horizon and however you divide up your life, you can do those things. You may have two things written. You may have seven. doesn't matter to me. I just want you to get them out of your head. So once everybody has something to write on or type, I want you all just to do that. And I'm going to do it as well. Yeah. Yeah, for whatever's next for you. However you define next. Three months, a year, whatever it is for you.
Now we got to stop. Some of y'all are still going. That's good. You can do more when we're done. Now here I want you to do is either you flip it over, draw a line, whatever you want to do. And I'm going to pray. And then you're going to write down what you feel like the Lord is saying to you. And it may be the same. And if it's the same, just put a star by what you've already written down. And that's good and right, and you don't need to feel bad about that. But I want to make sure that we're taking at least a minute to say, God, are you saying anything other than what I'm already thinking? It may, again, be in line with what you're already thinking, or it may be completely, um, it may not be on your radar screen. And I want you to be willing to write it down, even if it makes your hand shake because it's nervous. I want you to write it down. So, God, we, we want to be people who inquire of you. Every one of us, um, they're people, we're smart, we're talented, we're competent, we're all of those things. And so it's easy for us to look around and say, here's how I see my life, my work, my family needs to go. But we want to step back in submission to you as the king, as the Lord, as our father, and say, what do, what do you have to say about this? So, God, as we move into 2016, I pray that you would put one or two things, three things, in the hearts of every man and woman, every student in this room. What are you saying to them you want this race to look like? Okay, we're running out of time, so uh, we'll move on. I hope you got something. If not, I'd encourage you to take a minute today. Find some space before you go to sleep tonight. You wait till tomorrow, it won't happen. Try to find some space before you go to sleep tonight just to ask uh, and see. It's a, it's a good, good thing to do. One of the things that I've been thinking about for us corporately uh, for this year is for us to learn how to fight. It's very interesting when I read... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, God repeatedly, over a dozen times, says, I'm going to give you this land. That's the initial promise to Abraham. This land that I want to give this land to your descendants. And then when you read the book of Joshua, it doesn't look like a gift. They're fighting for it. 
And those things to me, so I'm going, how does that work? Like, we just came out of Christmas, and somebody gave me a gift. All I did was open the wrapping paper. I didn't have to fight for it. it was, I just received it. And so sometimes when I think gift, I think, well, just open your arms and receive. But if you read Joshua, God says, I'm giving you to, this to you. And then he proceeds to say, and you've got you've to fight for this. And in God's mind, in God's economy, God's way of doing things, those things are not, they don't, they're not opposites. They're not, they're, they don't pull against each other at all. Here's this land that I'm giving, for you, giving to you, and here's your part. You've got to fight for this. And what we often see physically in the Old Testament, we see spiritually in the New Testament. There's some things that God wants to give to you, and you need to fight for them. Some of you wrote things down on gift tags, and you haven't seen movement. You need to fight for those things. Don't quit. Don't give up. You need to fight for those things. Some, God just spoke something to some of y'all. This is what I want to do. I don't want you to think that that means you can just sit back and kind of watch it happen. He wants you to fight for those things. That he's putting in front of you. Those things that are stirring in your heart. Those desires that you want to see become reality. Sometimes, again, I think we can fall into this kind of trap of passivity. We say, well, this is something God wants. And so if God wants, or here's what we say. Well, if God wants me to have it, then he'll just give it to me. Sure, he will. He will just give it to you. And you will fight for it or you will not get it. That's what the book of Joshua says. I want to give you this land. It's yours. But you actually have to go in and take it. And again, for us, those things tend to pull away from each other. But in God's mind and the way God works, they don't at all. That going into the land and fighting, that's what faith is. That's how they're accessing the promises of God. By trusting him enough to risk their very lives. And the same thing is true for us. The way you access those promises is through faith. It's by trusting God enough. To take steps. Very interesting. I'll close with this. Joshua five thirteen. Now when Joshua was near Jericho. So this is before Joshua. He's a new leader. He's green. And this is before his first battle. God has said it's Jericho. But now Joshua is near Jericho. He looked up and saw a man standing in front of him. With a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and, says, and said. Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, the man replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and said, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So there's this picture. This angel appears before Joshua the night before there to take Jericho. And Joshua's question is, Are you for us or against us? He says, Neither one. I don't pick sides. I'm God. I don't do that. You're on my side. I'm not on your side. And so then Joshua says, well, what, what information do you have for me? You got a last-minute addition to the battle plan. You got a word of encouragement for me before I lead the army out for the first time. He's looking. I think, is there anything tactical, anything strategic, anything motivational? And what's the response? Worship. That's the response. You're standing on holy ground. Take your shoes off. That's the response. That's the word for us. So as I, I want to encourage you, what are the gifts, the promises, what are the things God's putting in front of you? He wants to give you those things. You're going to have to fight for them as well.
And what does fighting look like? Looks like trust for sure. It also, I think, looks like worship. It's a recognition. God's in the midst of this. He's not, God's not on my side. I'm on his side. This is something that he said he wants to do. And so I'm just getting on board with him and cooperating in whatever way that that looks like. I'm recognizing the presence of God and the work of God in whatever this particular circumstance happens to be. And my response is, to, is, is worship, is to fall on my face and say, thank you for doing those things. How can I, what does it look like for me to participate and to cooperate? We need to pray. It's 1030. God, I pray for the men and women in this room, and I do pray for each one of us that it would be a year of inquiring of you, asking, God, what are you saying? Not in a paralyzing way, but just saying, God, what are you saying to us? We want to be people who are led by the Spirit, not driven by obligation, not driven by expectation, not even driven by need, but led by the Spirit. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that your wind would blow in the lives of every man and woman in this room. And I pray we would learn what does it look like for us to have our sails up to catch that wind. And God, I do pray that we would learn how to fight. I pray we'd learn how to fight individually. And as a church, we would learn how to fight. God, that we would believe you for these sometimes audacious things that you're saying to us. And we would not give up just because we don't see those things happen in a day or a week or even a month. God, that we would learn how to enter into this promised land and how to deal with the giants and how to drive out the enemy forces. God, I pray particularly for people in this room who there's been something on their heart for years and they haven't seen it. God, I pray that this would be a year that you would teach them how to fight, that they would not give up. They would hear you saying to them, I'm not on your side, I'm not on the side of your enemies, but I've come. I'm here in your midst. In the place where you're standing, the life that you're living, that's holy. Recognize me in the midst of those things. Be a man and a woman of worship. In Jesus' name.